This is the California Institute of Integral Studies podcast, where each week we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program's live events, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, comedian, activist, and author Francesca Ramsey in conversation with author and illustrator Sarah Cooper about the many ways we communicate with each other. This event was recorded on June 2nd, 2018 in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs Podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. Hi. Hello. We're doing it. <laughs> Here it is. Here we are. Um, thank you all so much for coming. Um, I also want to start just by thanking Sarah for being my co-host. And this is so funny. This is going to blow your mind. The way that Sarah and I met is after I was a guest on Anderson Cooper, they asked me to come back and do a segment where I went into the city and I... Uh, explored an app where you got to meet people based on like what their interests were and your location and your location and Sarah was one of the people that I met so so Francesca's in Union Square in New York City using this app like okay I'm on assignment for Anderson Cooper trying to meet somebody I'm I think at DSW shopping for shoes (laughs) trying this app (laughs) And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, you've matched with Francesca. Do you want to meet up with this person who's nearby, literally feet away? Like, I think I might get murdered on Anderson Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> this was, I believe it was a Sunday. Yeah. And it, it was like, we were outside. It was like, beautiful outside. And, you know, I had a camera crew with me. And I'm thinking, I'm meeting somebody from an app. And I'm thinking, I'm not meeting someone with a camera crew. No. Like, I had no idea. <laughs> she had no idea. And um, she came with her friend Irene, um, randomly, who was on The Real World. I Irene know, like, from The Real World, yes, Seattle. Did you watch The Real World? Like, yeah. The most random thing. The slap? Yes. That Irene. So, like, Irene and Sarah roll up, and I'm just like, Hi! We should be friends. And then um, and then we invited both Two of days later, two days after using this random app, I'm on Anderson Cooper. <laughs> I'm literally on this television show because of this app. And I think the best part of this story is neither one of us remember what the name of that app was. No. That's the best Sorry, part of the story. no free promo. I don't think the app exists anymore. It doesn't. It previewed at South by Southwest that year, and now no one knows what that <laughs> app was. So. We're their only success story. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. Yeah, I don't remember Maybe we ruined called. that app, actually, now thinking back. Maybe that was the problem. I don't know. It was just, like, <laughs> it was just so weird and so internet, but so wonderful, because I ended up meeting someone who was a writer and a comedian. We went to Chipotle, I think. And we went to Chipotle. <laughs> Chipopo is what we call it. We hung out. We hung out. We became Facebook friends and we stayed in touch. And it turns out we have tons of friends in common. Um, And so this is just a beautiful full circle moment. But I'm really excited to talk to you because um, I read your book. And how many here have read the book so far? Yes. Only a few people. people. Okay. Okay, People just got it. That's okay. We're going to do some spoilers, a a few spoilers here. Um, 
And it's just fascinating to me because I met you about five years ago and then I read the book about a month ago and just seeing everything that was going on behind the scenes, you know, when I didn't really know what was going on is, is it was awesome because you were so super honest about your whole journey from like shit white girls say to black girls all the way to now to where you are now, which, yeah, everyone has seen that video. So I'm excited to ask you a bunch of questions. I sent you the questions before. I know you didn't and really didn't read look them. at them. So I'm really sorry. My we're inbox, very prepared. My inbox is an actual nightmare. I know. It is so bad. How many emails do you have? I think I have not an exaggeration, 400 emails. I have 800 emails. It's no, so bad. <laughs> It's so, so bad. That's one of the tricks from my new book, by the way. Always say you have double the amount of emails <laughs> that the person who says how many emails they have. It makes you look like you're way more important and have a lot more going on. But I also trust you. So, I mean, the fact that you sent me a Google Doc, like, listen. I did send you a Google Doc. That's my love language is <laughs> Google Docs. With edit access. It really, like, listen, if you, if, if you and I decide we're going to hang out and you send me a calendar, I'm like, ah, like... <laughs> It makes me so happy because I'm always the one that sends the calendar first. So she sent the Google Doc and I was like, I trust you. It's fine. I'm not even going to click them the link. I'm no. just going to uh, no, trust it's fine. you. Okay. So now I'm going to ask about your sex life. I'm okay. Just <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I, I put together a bunch of questions and we're going to also have questions from the audience, um, but we'll just get started. Okay. So the first question I had was about fame, which we were talking about a little bit yeah, backstage. We um, you got this job to interview people on the red carpet and you wrote in your book that this was the first time that you thought it was going to make you famous, but yeah. then subsequently did not make you famous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, so I talk about this in the book, but if you've followed me for uh, any amount of time, you might have known that in 2008, I won YouTube and People.com's Red Carpet Reporter Contest, which meant I got to go to the Emmys and interview celebrities on the red carpet. And I remember before I left, my boss took me in her office and she was like, just give me two weeks notice. Just give me two weeks. And I I was like, yes, of course, I will. I was like, like I will. Flipping your hair. I was like, like of I will. course, I will let you know. You know, <laughs> I just was so certain that I was gonna go to LA and they were gonna be like, don't leave. And I was gonna be like, oh, I have to give my boss two weeks. <laughs> and like, it did not happen like that at all. Um, and I felt like it was just important to talk about that because I'm so fortunate and, and thankful for where I'm at right now. But I think especially because of social media, we get to see everybody's wins. And so you look at other people and you're just like, oh, look at what they're doing. They're, and I'm guilty of that, right? Where you see somebody succeeding and then you compare yourself to them and you don't realize that there were all of these false starts and, and no's. And the Emmys was definitely that for me. I was so prepared. I watched every show that was nominated. I had a list of with everybody's picture on it of who they were. And, and I, I, I worked so, so hard. And then when it was over, they were like, bye. <laughs> like it was just over. <laughs> like, and I had to fly back on a red eye to, to Miami. Coach? Yeah, girl. Oh, God. Yeah. I flew back on a red eye to Miami and I had to go to work the next day and they shipped my gift bags, like th these giant gift bags 
full of stuff like cameras and makeup and candy and and speakers and all sorts of tech stuff. So I got back to my office and they had a sign on my door that was like, congratulations to our red carpet star. And I was like, fuck all of you. I hate you. I don't want to be here. And like the gift bags were there and my coworkers were going through it and they were like, this is so cool. And I was like, you can have it, all of it. I was, I was devastated. I was so upset and everyone was asking me about it every day. And I was, and everyone was watching the videos and they were just like, you did it. And I was just like, ugh, but did I do it? Like, I'm still here. (laughs) No two weeks notice. No two weeks notice. I was there for like another year. (laughs) But but I just thought it was interesting the way you said, I thought I was going to be famous. And I think a lot of people are like interested in this idea of fame. And what was your idea of fame back then? And has your idea of fame changed? And do you still just like a lot of people just are like, I just want to be famous. But like, what does that mean? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I thank you. <laughs> you were like, if you had read the Google Doc, bitch. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean, I think I just wanted to, you know, I went to school for acting. I did stand up for a number of years and I just, I wanted to be on stage. I wanted, I, I felt like I had something to say. I wasn't really sure what it was. Yeah. And, you know, I left that, ex- I, when I got that experience, I was like, yes, I'm going to be a red carpet reporter. I'm so glad I'm not that because yeah, of course it's are. hard. It's, yeah. I mean, it, I, I know people that work red carpets and it's grueling, yeah. you know, and, and you, it's a thankless job in many ways. And so I just wanted to be close to the action. I didn't know like what I wanted to do. I just like wanted to be there somehow. Um, I think my perception is different now because I'm in this very strange place where uh, people know who I am, but I can pretty much walk around and like no one, I I don't feel unsafe or like people aren't like stopping me all the time. I do make sure to fill in my eyebrows all the time. Because it's always the day that you don't. That somebody is like, can I get a picture? And I'm like, no. Ugh, I don't have any eyebrows. Can you just crop it right here, please? <laughs> can we do the dog filter? Is that okay? <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's interesting because like, I've now worked with a number of celebrities and I've like met celebrities either through nightly show or, you know, I worked on black girls rock uh, two years in a row. And so I, I got to meet a lot of the presenters and it's really interesting because I, I don't know. I feel like people's idea of fame is that it's just like magical and amazing, but it's like this giant magnifying glass yeah. where like all these people feel like they know you, but they don't really know you. Mm-hmm. And then, everybody wants something from you and and it's it's so weird it's very weird and so I feel very fortunate that I'm in like the middle ground where I can still be a normal person mm-hmm. um and and I also feel like my success has happened so organically and it's happened because of who I am not because of who people think I am you know when you play a character on television and then like I worked when I did um Black Girls Rock, it was hosted, the second time was hosted by Taraji P. Henson. And she was saying how people call her Cookie. And she's like, I'm not Cookie though, I'm Taraji. And people come up to her and they're like, and they like do their Cookie impression for her. And she's just like, that's a character that I play on a television show. And I don't have that. Like people know who I am 
because they watched me move apartments and they saw me get engaged and they saw me get different jobs and they saw me doing my hair in my bathroom in front of that blue floral shower curtain. <laughs> Listen, people have serious feelings about that shower curtain. People will message me and they're like, girl, I miss the shower curtain. I'm like, we need to move on. That is so funny. But that's what I mean. Like, that is a different relationship than the relationship that people have with traditional celebrities. And celebrities feel so untouchable. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you can leave a comment on my Instagram and I will respond to you. Like, I definitely slide up on people's DMs Mm -hmm. because I can't say something shady on the timeline, but I really still want to say it. (laughs) And then I end up having a great conversation with that person that you probably wouldn't get to do with like a traditional celebrity. So I feel like... But isn't that... It's not just celebrity, it's acting. It's like, this is my art versus this is who I am. And you kind of... I'm a personality. You've melded both of those things and you actually enjoy melding those things because you don't want to have people think you're something that you're not. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to school for acting. I spent a lot of money on half of an acting degree that I'm still paying for. Um, How's that possible? Oh, girl. All um, that money you made from YouTube? I Come know. On. I'm like rolling in the dough. Uh, no, I mean, I well, I went to an out-of-state school, <laughs> so I made a lot of bad choices. Um, <laughs> which is why I left. I, I, I was rolling around on the floor pretending to be a puppy one day, and I was like, why am I spending $45,000 on this? Um... <laughs> But I still want to act. Like, I still want to. To perform. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, I so like I have the show in development. And when we shot the pilot, it was so funny because uh, my showrunner, who is a phenomenal guy, I, I love him, um, after, like, the first sketch that we shot, he was like, wow, you were so good. He was like, you can really act. And I was like, why did you sign on if you didn't think I could act? <laughs> And he was just like, I don't know, I just really liked you. And I just felt like I could see that you had talent. But he's like, but sometimes we work with comics who aren't actors. Like, they're, when they are themselves doing their own material, they're hilarious. Oh, I can name, like, five comedians who can't act. Yeah, it's yes. pretty easy. Yeah. yeah. No, but it was really funny. He was like, wow, yeah. you can act. And I was yeah. like, bitch, what? <gasps> yeah, I can act. I was like, God, what would have happened if I couldn't? Like, y'all spent a lot of money. I don't know. You probably be way more famous now if you couldn't act. Actually, <laughs> if I couldn't, yeah, yeah, you're totally right. You're totally right. I mean, I love Seinfeld, but he was just—you <laughs> know—was he acting? No, he wasn't acting. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Aziz Ansari, like he doesn't—he yeah. just kind of talks, yeah. right? I mean, no, he doesn't listen, actually. Yo, you are splitting the audience right Sorry. now. I'm living for it. I think some people are laughing, and some people. <laughs> Are uncomfortable, and that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, so when Shit White Girls Say to Black Girls came out, you said that a lot of the white girls in your life wrote to you, called you, emailed you, yeah, were like, did. hey, is this about me? They were like, which line's what, about which me? Which line's about me? <laughs> like, what, what, who am I in this, in your situation? Yeah, I was like, get over yourself. You are not that funny. Yeah. <laughs> So did you see that coming or was that completely no, shocking to you? No, no. Here's the thing that I feel like people do not genuinely understand. I had been making videos for six years before that video had come out. Um, and so I had been grinding. And y'all know, you know, when I would make a video. Shower girl knows. Shower girl yeah. knows. 
When I would make a video, I would be like, hey, everybody, I made a video. Can you please watch it? I would send out emails to every single news outlet. And I'd be like, hi, my name is Francesca Ramsey. And I recently just made a video about this. And I'm a really big fan of your site. And I would love it if you would check it out. And then I would be like, please, I hope someone watches it. And I would post on my, you know how Facebook gives you the Facebook memory? My Facebook memories prior to shit white girls say are so depressing because they're like hey guys I spent 12 hours on this video I would really appreciate it if you would watch it and no one would watch it (laughs) there would be like one comment and it was from my mom (laughs) and so I was making videos and my friends were not watching them people that didn't know me were watching them but I was posting them on Facebook I was posting them on Twitter I was posting them on my live journal and people weren't Just so you know, it's all been deleted, so don't even try. <laughs> um, the internet for- never forgets, though. Oh, yeah, I know. Listen, when Shit White Girl Say went viral, I literally, like, deleted so much shit. I was yeah. like, delete all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so when it went viral, it was this, again, very strange moment of people that I knew but didn't know well all claiming me. Yeah. And people on Facebook being like, my friend Francesca made this thing. And I'm like, you literally have said half of the things in this video. I, one guy I went to Michigan with, and you know, the video is called Shit White Girls Say because I was playing off of the meme shit girls say but in reality things in that video were said to me by men and by grown women by all people of all different walks of life a guy I went to Michigan with posted it and he was just like I am so proud to know Francesca like this video is so great and I remember when I was at Michigan there was like a landmark uh case happening with um affirmative action at my school at my school, and I remember he said to me at a party, he was like, you only got into this school because you're black. And now he was on Facebook stunting about how he was so proud of me. And I was like, this is wild, like what? It was the weirdest thing. So I had no, I had no idea it was gonna go viral, I had no idea that people were gonna start claiming me. Um, and I also just didn't realize that I was telling the story of so many black people, so many black women, so many women of color, so many Mm -hmm. people of color. I did not realize it. I thought it was a video about me in West Palm Beach. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And I hoped, I hoped somebody would watch it. (laughs) (laughs) So that is a lot of the responses you got was that people were like, I see myself in this. I've experienced this. But when you were making it, did you get emotional at all when you were making it? Or was it just like, let me make this as funny as possible? Or did you actually say, wow, this is kind of messed up that people talk like this to me? Um, no, I didn't get emotional. I, I, so Shit Girls Say came out in 2011. And everybody was making parodies. And, you know, I had just, again, had another moment where I thought I was going to blow up. I won YouTube's Next Up contest, which was their contest to find the next big YouTube stars. So that was in 2011. And I put the money that I won from that into buying a new computer and a camera and and just learning all of the skills about making content. And uh, one of the things that they talked about was like parody and memes and like trending content. And so when Shit Girl Say went viral, I was like, I have to move. I have to do something. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so by the time I came up with the idea, it was 2012. And I was 
genuinely worried that it was too, too late. late. Yeah. I was like, because you know how it is. Like everybody's talking about. It's even worse now. It's but even, even yeah. worse now. Yeah. It's like barbecue Becky is the thing we're all talking about. And then next, only half of you laughed because some of y'all are like, who are you talking about? It happens so fast. It's it's a thing and everyone is talking about it and it's everywhere and it's on a t-shirt and then there's a song. There's always a song now. And then like And then 24 hours later. And then 24 done. hours later it's done and it's everyone's talking about something else. Yeah. So for me in internet time, something in 2011 going viral and then me getting to 2012, which was was January, I was like, oh, I don't know. This might be too late. Um, I wasn't thinking like, oh, these things are so messed up. And this is kind of where like the accidental activist yeah. thing comes in into play is that I didn't always, I knew that the comments made me uncomfortable, but I, I had personal connections to some of these people that said them. Yeah. Like these are people that I was friends with, people that I grew up with, people yeah. that I had known some of them my entire life, mm -hmm. you know, and I knew they were good people. I actually liked them and enjoyed their company. And then they would just sometimes say something that just made me feel like, oh God, you don't see me as a person. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know how to actually talk about it. And so my like passive aggressive way of handling it was to make a YouTube video. <laughs> like even my mannerisms like I'm smoking a cigarette in that video and I had people who are like I can't believe you smoke and I was like I don't smoke the mm -hmm. girl I based this character on right. smokes um because I could do a really good impression of her right. she like has like this really like nasally voice. voice yeah and she's always like eh. and and like every time she and I would get into an argument we would just the argument would devolve and just going like <laughs> and I just like thought it was funny and I was just like so I'm smoking a cigarette and I'm just like doing this girl you know that was my friend um you know but I mean she had said shitty things to me and yeah. I like I was like this is funny so yeah I I didn't I did not there's no way to prepare you for at, at that time every comment that I got on YouTube came directly to my inbox. And so that video got 1.5 million views in half a day. Half a day. Wow. My inbox, I was, I was at my desk just sobbing. And I just was like, what is happening? Like yeah. I didn't, I did, there's nothing to prepare you for that. Yeah. Um, so there's so much there. Um, did you, you, you created a video that was really hysterical, but then a lot of the comments were like very serious and people took it to heart. A lot of the things that you said in the video as a comedian, you know, as someone who's trying to be funny, trying to be entertaining, when someone says, oh, actually, I'm going to take this very seriously. I'm going to see a lot into this and I'm going to read a lot into this. Like, how how did you trans transition into okay I'm gonna be I'm gonna be that platform versus just being like it's a joke yeah. you know because there is as a comedian a lot of times it's easy to just be like you know what I'm using comedy as a kind of reflective thing and I don't actually want to talk about these issues I just yeah. want to be funny yeah. so did you have to make that conscious decision between like hey it's just a joke relax versus oh let's actually talk about this issue that you're bringing up wow um. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Wish I had read that. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
You know, so like as the video was going viral, uh, so, you know, I, every time I would make these videos, I would send out these emails to people trying to get them to post my stuff. And now suddenly all those people were emailing me and they were like, hey, would you like to write something? Uh, the, my contact at Huffington Post emailed me and was like, hey, can you write something about shit white girls say? And I was like, you know, I want to know about the inspiration behind it. I was at work at Ann Taylor. I should have been working and I was writing an article for Huffington Post. And then I like asked my mom to copy edit. And I was just like, can you just copy edit this before I post it? And so I, I talked about it. I was just like, this is based on my real life. It's not just a joke. These are real things people have said to me. If you are mad about this video, then who you should be mad at is the people that said this to me. And if millions of people have related to this, then maybe millions of people have experienced this. Like I didn't anticipate it, but I was like, well, this is saying something, you know? And I think for me, I had, again, been on YouTube for six years trying to figure out what I was doing. I was doing all sorts of things. I was doing hair. I was doing song parodies. I was doing like tutorials on like crocheting hats. Yeah. That's not a joke. <laughs> um, I was just doing anything. Like I was doing stuff in retrospect that did have like social conscious messages under them like I did a music video where I played Lil Wayne talking about getting tested for HIV I think it's Lil Wayne oh Lil it? sorry yeah. thank you <laughs> the smaller <laughs> Wayne um so like I made this video that was about like safe sex where I played Lil Wayne and like I thought it was like really funny, but it was it was like a serious thing. It was for like World AIDS Day or something. Um, so, you know, I was doing stuff that was smart, but I hadn't really f crystallized what I wanted to do. Yeah. And then when Shit White Girls Say happened, it was this light bulb moment of, oh, maybe this is what I should do. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should talk about real stuff with comedy. Yeah. Because it's making people laugh, but it's also making them think. And it's still the stuff that you wanted to talk about. Yeah. So you didn't feel like you needed to kind of run away from this, the, the truth that was behind no. it. I could still, yeah. I, I, it was interesting to me. It was a challenge. Um, because these concepts and, and ideas are difficult to talk about, um, and I've always been, you know, I went to school for graphic, after I left acting school, I studied graphic design. And something that I loved about being in design school is it was very like problem solving oriented. You'd have a brand and they would have a small budget. And so you would have to come up with, you know, a whole campaign for them that fit their budget. Or they would want to use this color scheme or their logo used to look like this and now they want to change it or whatever it was. And so it was always kind of like a puzzle. And I felt like, taking social justice or like identity issues and finding comedic ways to talk about them felt like a similar puzzle and and that just kind of like gave me tinglys yeah so uh this next card said snl audition oh my gosh um, yeah. so i don't know if you want to talk about that yeah, failures <laughs> failures a bomb but um, uh <laughs> this was this was something that um I just really enjoyed reading because a lot of times it's hard to be honest about the things that you didn't succeed at. Mm -hmm. And um, you... I mean, listen... We're I, never on SNL. I put like, it out there. It's so funny yeah. because 
after that video and throughout my career, like anytime something would happen with SNL, like a flub or like some drama, I would always get tweets that were like, Francesca should be on SNL. Why aren't you on SNL? And I'm just like, because I bombed my audition. (laughs) And I'm glad. And, you know, it's one of those things where I'm sure everyone in this audience has had this, but it's hard to realize it in the moment where something doesn't work out and then it's not until like five years later that you realize oh my god I'm so glad that thing did not work out yeah like I know and again no shade to SNL it's an institution it can propel careers it 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 talks about what's going on in the world in like a very relevant way but I know people that work there that hate their lives right like it is so hard like it's so so hard there's like all these like weird rules like do you know about the tuesday night rule no every two apparently john belushi one time did drugs or something and and like missed rehearsal on a tuesday and so now lauren makes everybody stay till like five o'clock in the morning on tuesday it's like a thing like if you leave early on a tuesday people are like where are you going and it's like well i want to go to bed it's like no you have to it's just like weird stuff yeah when i found all that stuff out i was like god i don't feel bad about bombing that audition um i always wanted to write a book called rejected by all the right people but it was more about relationships because i was rejected by all the right men (laughs) but but also like you know rejection sometimes is it's a good thing but yeah. in the moment it feels horrible it feels, it feels like so terrible it and was my first big audition and the way that you wrote about it in the book is is so visceral because you talk about walking out of the audition and not being able to make eye contact with your manager who had watched you bomb yeah. and yeah. all of that stuff and so I just thought that that was so awesome for you to relate that experience yeah again I think it's just really important for people to know that it's not all wins and for for me that situation was very eye-opening because you know I got called into SNL and I was so excited again it was right after shit white girls say and actually it was I had gotten called back to Anderson like a third time so I taped Anderson during the day and then I went to the audition and I just like felt like a baller like I had gotten my makeup done at Anderson and then I got there and I was just like what up everybody like maybe you see me on Anderson Cooper like (laughs) I got there and I was not prepared like I I had not been doing stand-up I had not been doing characters I mean I'd been doing characters on my YouTube channel but not in the way everybody else was prepared at the audition. And then I was second to last, so I had to watch everybody else crush it. And I was just watching going like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Like, I am so not ready. I, and I and I went up there and I did Britney Spears. I was literally like, so here's Britney Spears. <laughs> like, it was just bad. Like, I could do a great Britney Spears. I really wish there was video of this, honestly. Oh, God, I'm so glad <laughs> there wasn't. But again, it was one of those moments of like, sometimes the thing that you think you are prepared for, like you have to take a hard look at yourself and realize like you didn't do the work. I didn't do the research to, (laughs) that was a word. (laughs) I didn't. I didn't even go on YouTube and look at SNL auditions. There are SNL auditions on YouTube and I didn't look at any of them. I just practiced in my living room. So do you think that was like self-sabotage or was it just you thinking you were a baller? Like, No, I think it was just me getting... Jumping at an opportunity because it was being offered to me. And I had always, I mean, SNL is like every comic's dream. Like it can just propel your career. It's, it's just, it's the longest running sketch comedy show on television. It's, it's, there's just so many stars that come out of there and just go on to do amazing things. And 
I just thought like, oh my God, maybe that could be me. And so I wasn't actually honest with myself to say like, I'm not ready for this opportunity. I haven't been doing characters. I've had a desk job. I've been making YouTube videos where I can edit and I can try things over again. I can do multiple takes. Uh, I hadn't been performing in front of live audience on a regular basis. Um, I wasn't taking classes at UCB. Like I, I didn't have time. I couldn't afford it. I had a regular job. So I mean, those were all things that it was just like a very hard lesson to learn. But I also know that SNL is not the place for me. I right. want to make my own content. I mm-hmm. want to decide what I talk about. I don't want someone to tell me what I have to write about or, you know, I, I, I'm very fortunate that I can create work for myself. I don't have to ask anybody else to give me a job. Right. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So. So that is a good segue into my next question, which is I admire your patience online talking to a lot of these a lot of them are trolls but a lot of people are just very argumentative you have haters you have trolls you have all these people that you actually do take the time and try to reason with them and I don't have the patience for it a lot of the times like if I'm like two or three times back and forth with someone I'm I'm done. I want to move on with my life. I don't want to talk to this person anymore. How do you know who is worth it to reason with, whether it's a stranger or a friend or family? How do you know whether it's time to like try to understand them and try to help them understand you or it's time to just take a step back and say, hey, I don't have time for this? Yeah. You know, I have actually pulled back a lot from engaging because I, um, I realized that it was just a, a huge waste of my time. And also I realized that it was really unfair to my audience. You know, there are people that have been watching my videos for, you know, I've been making videos since 2006. So it's a really long time. There are people who have supported me through moving apartments and getting engaged and different jobs and all sorts of things. Um, and I felt like, the energy that I was putting into social media was being wasted on people that don't like me and will never like me, but will still watch every motherfucking thing I do. (laughs) So I don't need to engage them. Like they will always watch. They will always watch. Meanwhile, I have people who are sharing and and they're, they, you know, and, and for me, what was eye opening was seeing sometimes like celebrities doing that where they were just like engaging with trolls over and over and over again. And then you see that one fan that's like, it's my birthday. And if you responded to me, this would make my whole life. And then they don't respond. And you're just like, God, they're just talking to this troll instead. And so previously I was using those nasty comments to move the conversation forward and like actually answer or debunk some of the things that they were saying in like creative ways because I felt like people were getting something out of it. People would message me and say, wow, I used this to respond to a family member or a coworker or whatever, but I was still giving that person attention and I was raising their profile. And so what I started doing was instead of like directly responding to them, I would put that into my work, whether it was an episode about four myths about Black Lives Matter debunked or answering the question, why does privilege make people so angry? I was able to address things that I was seeing trolls say without, again, like handing them a megaphone. And I think even if you don't have the experience of dealing with trolls online, um, which unfortunately, like you don't have to be a high profile person. You can literally just be like, I'm having a good day. And someone's like, die. And you're like... (laughs) 
who are you? <laughs> and I feel like everyone has dealt with that. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. But I also think, or I know, that we have trolls in our real life, you know? And I feel like the, they're, these are people that are unhappy. And so what they do is they latch on to any happiness that you have and they want to divert your attention so that you can no longer engage in that happiness, right? Like maybe you have that family member when you get a new job, they're like, oh, you think you cute with your new job? And you're like, yeah, I now have a job and I <laughs> feel very cute because I can pay my bills. Like what? And then you have to remember like, oh, like that's the family member that has always had like trouble in their career, right? Or like shit was like bad for them in college or whatever, or your relationship or your body or, you know, you move to a new city and they're like, ugh, you're moving there? And you're just like, yeah, and you're in the same fuck shit town you've always been in. <laughs> that person felt it. Someone went, ah! <laughs> it was like a guttural... <laughs> And I feel like it's really important for me to use my platform to remind people that you have to do the work that you need to do and not give that person energy or attention because ultimately what they get out of that is not seeing you succeed. They, they, they really not. It's so true. Like, and as soon as you start thinking about it that way, and again, it's not always easy. There are definitely times where like, oh, I love a good clap back. Yeah. And like, now I have personalized gifts. Like, you don't know what it feels like to send a gif of yourself. <laughs> I have gifts where I'm like, <laughs> like that. And it's like, so great. Like, it's so fun. Um, and sometimes I want to send them to like shady, awful people so badly, but I'm, I also realize that it's giving them exactly what they want. Right. Um, but there's a difference between people that are like criticizing you to get their own sense of entitlement or whatever it is, but other people who criticize you or feedback you've gotten that has been helpful. And like, oh, yeah. how do you tell the difference between those types of criticism? Um, the thing that's been really helpful for me is building an inner circle that I can trust and that I can check in with. And I think you have to, especially as somebody that's like starting to have a more public profile, I'm very weary of people who tell me I'm fabulous all the time um, because I'm not. I'm a flawed human being. But unfortunately, that does come along with having an increased profile the same way that you see that celebrity wearing something awful on a red carpet and you think like who in her circle didn't tell her that that looked terrible like I don't ever want to be that person and so the people that I've kept around are the people that check me and that's my husband that is my mom that's my best friend that's my makeup artist that's my my manager that's my literary agent you know these are people that when shit is going down and I'm thinking, did I screw up? Like, I can't really tell. Like, everybody's yelling at me. I can check in with them and they'll say like, yeah, girl, you did screw up. Um, and I think that that's really, really important. Um, but I also think to add on to that, it's really important that you don't take advantage of those people and you're not the person that only calls when shit's going down. Mm -hmm. um, that you make sure that you like replenish those relationships and you take them out to dinner or you like buy them a Target gift card or something. Um, just to be like, thank you so much for being there for me 
because I was stressed out about whatever or I needed you to read something for me or review something because I, I just had it needed a gut check. Yeah. Um, so that's been really helpful for me because it can be so hard when everybody is saying all of this stuff and it's all so loud and you're not sure who to listen to. Um, and it also just takes practice to, to listen to your gut, mm-hmm. you know. And so when you, I mean, you do have haters out there, like, does it always sting to get those negative comments or have you been able to let it roll off your shoulder? Um, I think the thing that's been really helpful for me is, again, just being self-reflective about the times that I was really negative in my life. And I think, again, the Internet allows us to say things to people that we would never say in real life. And it also allows us to see everything that's happening in someone's life. Um, And there are a lot of people that are very committed to studying everything that I do. Like this guy made a 30 minute conspiracy theory video alleging that I was the original Rachel Dolezal, that I was actually a white woman. Oh, aren't you? I mean, it was very strange. But there were photos of me in this slideshow that I hadn't seen before. And I was like, that's a great photo of me. Where did he get this? Like, he, like, did, like, deep into the Google images to find pictures of me. And I was like, sir, you spent a long time working on that. Well, yeah. I mean, and I think that that's a healthy response. Like, wow, you have nothing to do with your you life. Yeah, like, you're your literally life. doing this. But... There's got to be a moment before that was like, oh, my God, exposed. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. And, and again, for me, it was a moment of realizing that when I first moved to New York and I was struggling with with working and I couldn't I, I, I wanted to get an agent. I did like a giant mailing of my headshots and resumes and I got no responses back. And I was I just had terrible job after terrible job, I would spend countless hours on the internet, like stalking people who had the careers that I wanted. And my response to them was just like, "Ugh, she sucks. She ain't shit. She's not. And I was just like, and you know, like every single person has done it. We all follow someone online that we don't actually like. And we're like, congratulations, you got a new job. (laughs) And like, (laughs) and you like, don't like that girl. You don't like her at all, but you're like, you just like want to know what she's doing. And you're like, is she as hot as she was in high school? No. (laughs) You're like, it's terrible. And we've all done it, right? And like being able to admit that I had done it made me, made it a little bit easier to say when someone was doing that to me, that it had nothing to do with me and it had everything to do with them, especially if especially because I know how to edit video. Like I know how to animate. I, I know how much time it takes. And when someone goes into a recording studio to make a song about how much they hate me, like, sir, you got studio time <laughs> for me? Do you know what I mean? Like you reached out to a SoundCloud beat dude to, to get a beat? so that you could make a song about how you hate me? I'm like, wow, like this is serious dedication. Um, and for and now you're flattered by people that like- I mean, I'm still a little, like I, I'm still a little creeped out and scared by it. But again, for me, I, I have a story in the book about meeting somebody that I had been hating on online and realizing- This was someone you were actually fangirling over. Yeah, I mean, she- when I met her, she was genuinely so nice 
that I was shocked because she was somebody that I always thought like she's not that funny. I don't understand why she her her videos are getting these views. I don't know why she gets all these opportunities and I don't. And then I was at a party and I met her and she was so cool and so nice. And then I realized like she worked her ass off and that the time I spent hating on her, I could have been working my ass off. And I said, you know what? Instead of hating on her, I'm going to stop hating and I'm going to start studying. And here I am, you know, six years later. And not that it's a competition, but like I am on par with where that girl was. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to say that I've done all sorts of really cool things that I've always wanted to do. And instead of hating on someone else that had written a book or had sold a television show or, you know, had an award-winning web series or written for television or done any of those things, I saw other people doing them and I would be like, I'm, you know, we talked about this. Yeah, I mean, and I think that a lot of people here like look up to you in that same way. And I think that looking up to people isn't a bad thing. Like a lot of times it's inspiring to see someone succeeding and you can kind of use that as a template. Like they are where I want to be. What did they have to do to get to where that they are right now? Essentially, jealousy is telling you that that is something that you actually really care about. Um, And that's something that I learned from Marie Forleo, who was the co-host at my first LA stop. And when I heard her say that, it blew my mind because I was having feelings of jealousy towards people that were doing stuff that I was like, I could do that. Mm-hmm. I, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so how has that changed for you now, like in terms of who you fangirl over and how you treat those people that you look up to? Um, I mean, I think I'm just, I, I don't really fangirl. Like it's not, <laughs> and that's not shade to anyone that does fangirl. I, I'm just always the type of person that prefers to just be like, I'm a really big fan of your work. You're amazing. You know, I, I love your stuff. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like I just kind of, again, I study people. Um, I try to build like genuine relationships with people. I have a list of people that I'm like, these are people I would love to work with someday. And, and so my version of fangirl is like when, and if I get to meet them, I'm going to be like, Hey, I wrote a book. I would love if you read it. Like, yeah. Oh, you're working on this project. Like, how can I help? Oh, you know, this person, maybe we could collaborate in this way. Like I want to, I always want to surround myself with people that are going to force me to be better at what it is that I do mm-hmm. right like if you I don't know I think I read something that was kind of like you want to be the dumbest person in the room because then that means you're just going to get you're smarter learning. you're yeah. going to get smarter because you're with people who are smarter than you who are funnier than you and I learned that at nightly show I was terrified working in that writer's room I'd never written for television and I was working with people that had written for Colbert that had written written for Leno um you know Larry has this incredible resume from Fresh Prince and Bernie Mac and The Office and the PJs and I was just like I make videos on YouTube like (laughs) but they helped me rise to the occasion Mm -hmm. so you know, when I meet somebody who is doing the things that I want to do, I'm just like, how do I, like, what do I do? I'll hold a light. I will, you know, I'll bring the coffee. Like, I'll do whatever it is. Like, I want to be there so that I can just get some of your glow and and learn what it is that you did to get here. Yeah. Um, so you got married, um, three years ago, four years ago. ago. Okay. 
I got married like three years ago, so I'm sort of around the same time. Uh, and you mentioned in the book being on vacation and leaving the vacation early to go to a Larry Wilmore yeah. um, event, or I think it was actually to be a guest on the yeah, show. I got called in to be a guest. How did Patrick take that? And how does it work now with how busy you are and managing that? I mean, it feels like a really cliche question, but I'm actually yeah. very interested in it. it all? Yeah, like, how do you manage it all? It's, yeah. it's like you have this relationship. Relationships take work and they take time, but all of this that you're doing also takes work and time. So how do you manage that? I mean, I feel very fortunate because I have a husband who has always been so supportive. He is always... I mean, if you listen to the podcast, last name basis, it's on iTunes. Uh, <laughs> You're so good at plugging things. You guys, if you listen to my podcast. No, yeah. but it's true. Like we all, have a relationship. <laughs> we have a relationship where we just like joke around with each other and we keep it real. And that was the thing that attracted me to him. You know, I had had so, and maybe you've had this experience too, as a, as a funny woman. It's really hard to be a funny woman trying to date. Dudes don't want to date funny women. They want to date, they want to date like just like blank slates that are just like, yes, you're great. Like, <laughs> it's so true. I would like, I would meet a guy and we would be vibing and we would just have like the greatest time and all this chemistry and we'd be flirting, and we'd be joking around and like there would be all the sexual tension and I'd be like, oh my God, is this guy gonna like me? Like, what's going on? And then like a month later, I would run into them and they would be like, oh, this is my girlfriend. And like, she would just be like a dud. And I'd be like, why are you dating this girl? Why aren't you dating me? Yeah. And I, I had that happen so often. I was just so frustrated. I was like, I can't. Patrick was my first serious boyfriend. I had just never met a guy who could keep up with my my jokes. And the first time I met and him. And not be intimidated. And not be intimidated. And, yeah. and when I met him, he was just like, bam, bam, bam. Just like, joke, 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 joke. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, this is just, he's so funny. And so he has always pushed me to... And again, he's also very honest with me, even sometimes when I, you know, when I don't want him to be. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear that right now. Yeah. yeah. Like I'll and he's a lawyer. And so he's very like practical. He always tries. He wants to look at all sides. And so I'll be like, I hate that bitch. And he'll be like, legally, she didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> and I'm just like, but I hate her. Say that you hate her, too. And like. He doesn't, he doesn't just take my side to take my side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he will say to me, like, baby, you're wrong in this situation. Like, I'm very emotional and he's very practical. Like, we balance each other out in that way. And so when it was time for me to quit my job and I wanted to chase my dreams, I was crying and I was so upset. And Pat was just like, I believe you can do it. And he was like, and if, and if it doesn't work out, babe, go and get a job. Just, like, it's fine. Just go get another job. And I was just like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, if it doesn't work out, work out I'll just I'll go back to working you know and so and I did at one point like it stopped working out and I went and got a job um and so when nightly show came around it was the same thing he um when he was in law school and and like he was stressing out like I, we've been together for 12 years so like we have been there through so much stuff that I know that my stress is not going to be all the time and his stress yeah. will not be all the time. And we just know each other so well that I know like how to support him mm -hmm. when he's going through it and he knows how to support me. Mm -hmm. And, and the podcast I think came out of our desire to do something together 
And, and it does kind of feel like a little project for us. Like we have meetings, we have like a Dropbox, we have a calendar. We have a calendar. We have a calendar. <laughs> Do you read his Google Docs? I was like, we don't have babies, but we have a podcast. <laughs> like, it, like that's the thing that we like cultivate and we like work on together. And, and it's, it's really, really nice. Um, and, and he's like building his own little audience. Like he has fans and it's like very weird, but very funny and cute. It is. It's so weird. Like he was on, he came to the first leg of my book tour and there were people like taking like sneaky selfies, but with him in the background. And he was just like, I'll be in the picture if you want. And he was just like, baby, everyone's taking pictures of me. And I was like, welcome to my world. <laughs> I was like, this is what it's like. And he was just like, why do people want to take pictures of me? This is so weird. Um, so he's great. And we schedule time together. Like, he'll text me and he'll be like, hey, can you do something on the 9th? Like, I saw on your calendar that you don't have anything. And I'm like, yeah, we can totally do the 9th. And then we'll, like, block it off. Yeah, wow. we, yeah, I know. We are those people. Amazing. Yeah. We put dates on. We put, like. You don't schedule sex, though, right? Girl, what? <laughs> There's a whole audience here. <laughs> I am such a prude. Like, I'm genuinely pretending that question didn't happen. <laughs> we schedule our work. We schedule, like, keeping the apartment clean. We schedule, like, dog walkers. Everyone is like, but does she schedule sex? <laughs> Y'all are nasty. Mind your business. Listen, okay, it's not just melanin that's creating the glow. All right, let's just say that. <laughs> you actually did share this uh, on social, uh, the unfriending flowchart, when to unfriend someone. Yeah. And I just, I want to know what unfriending means. A lot of times people are like, well, social isn't real. You know, this is real. Yeah. This is real. We're all looking at each other. But then social media is like this fake world thing, but then it does feel real. And we do build real connections with people online. So what does unfriending mean? Like if you unfriend someone, then you see them on the street. Do you still like, like them and care about them and want them to be well? Or do you actually want to like hate yeah. them and never want to speak yeah, to them I again? Mean, I, I try not to waste energy on hating anyone. I just, for me, I feel like that's a very unproductive use of my time. Um, but That's amazing. I mean, it just, I have things to do. Yeah. Like I have things to do and like hating you and it means I have to like invest in knowing what's going on with you. Yeah. And so I feel like now at the ripe old age of 34, I have just like a low tolerance for bullshit. And so like I'm at a place where I'm like, not no new friends, but like if you stay fucking up, we're not going to be friends anymore. <laughs> And like now, and again, like literally I have a calendar for when I want to hang out with my actual friends. So like I have to, and you know what it's like, you have to work. You have to be like, can you do Saturdays? You can't. Okay. I can do Wednesdays. I could do this time. So like if you are somebody in my social circle online, even if we don't see each other all of the time, you are taking up space that could be occupied by somebody that I actually like and I actually enjoy. If you're going to bring like bigotry and just ignorance into my social feed, the same way that I decide who comes into my home, I feel the same way about my social platforms. Mm -hmm. Largely because like I have a public Facebook and I have a private Facebook and those are people that I actually know. Um, and so for me, unfriending is 
setting boundaries for myself to say like this type of language, this type of behavior is not acceptable. And, you know, I have a little bit of a different circumstance because I literally teach people about this stuff all of the time. And like, I have so many free resources available for you if you actually want to be educated on these issues. And I am really don't have time when someone's like, prove to me, prove to me that I should respect gay people. And I'm like, I don't have time. Mm -hmm. Goodbye. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it. If you actually care about this issue, you will do the work. That said, sometimes there are people that I actually really do care about. And I'm shocked that they say something. Like they just pop off one day about something. And, you know, I talk about in the book calling out versus calling in. And you have to set those boundaries for yourself and say like, okay, this is someone I actually really care about. So I'm going to talk to them, but I'm going to talk to them offline because online it's just, it's not, it just doesn't work. It turns into like It's almost like performative when you're, you're commenting back and forth with someone. Everyone can see your conversation. Everybody starts jumping in. Everyone's jumping in. People are liking your comment versus liking their comment. It's like a, it's almost like a competitive thing versus like just having that one-on-one conversation with someone. And there's so much that gets lost in translation online you know, like I love gifts, I love emojis, but there's nothing can take the place of like eye contact and body language yeah. and, and even just taking someone out to coffee and being like, no, it's okay, I got the coffee, yeah. I'll buy it for you. Right. Just like the gesture of being like, I'm treating you because I am bringing you to this space and I wanna talk to you about something that you said or something that you did and I'm taking extra care in the way that I'm handling this conversation with you that doesn't happen online mm-hmm. and and again, I say that as someone that did it wrong with people that I actually cared about uh, and that invested that time in people. And sometimes it's not worth it. It just doesn't work. And so, again, it's something that you get better at. And, you know, the flowchart is kind of like a joke, but it's also a real thing. I think you have to come up with a method for yourself to say, like, OK, well, what did they say? Did they like drop a racial slur? Like, no, I don't have time for that. Or did they say something like, well, I don't understand why, you know, they can't just come here legally. And you're like, okay, all right. Maybe they genuinely don't understand. Maybe they really don't understand. And, and, and I actually really like this person. And like, this is an ignorant thing to say, but there's an opportunity that I can help them understand that it's really hard to come to this country legally and that the idea of like what it means to be legal is just something that was made up Mm -hmm. and that like depending on what your accent sounds like or how brown you are your immigration status is seen as more legal than somebody else's right and that like you can't actually steal somebody's job because the job didn't actually belong to you sir you know what I mean (laughs) like that's not how jobs work but if I said that online it would be perceived very differently than if I, even if I just texted them and just yeah. said like, I saw this comment that you made and I just want to help you understand that if a company decides that they want to pay an undocumented person, the undocumented person is not the problem. It's the company that believes that they deserve cheap labor. Not to mention that person's not getting health care. That person... And they're still know, paying taxes. And, you, you know, yeah. and, 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 and they also are potentially in danger of losing their family and being deported, right? And so you are misplacing that anger. That's like a nuanced conversation that online, especially when 
oh, I've had times where like I've had family members say something and then like someone I went to high school or college with jumped in, like somebody that's like a doctorate and they like just start dropping like all these big words. And I'm like, oh my God, my family member has no clue what you're talking about. It's just like, we need to do this privately. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's something that you have to, again, work on. It's yeah. not something that you get good at overnight. It's like a continuous continual process of deciding when you're going to do that work and when you're just going to say like I don't really have time I don't even talk to you anymore I haven't talked to you in like 10 years yeah just like it's fine yeah okay so let's get to some audience questions first question decoded is amazing it is amazing thank you any topics that you want to cover that you haven't gotten to yet yeah, so we, uh, we're we in the planning stages for season seven. Uh, we're planning on coming back in the fall. Um, I have like a bunch of stuff lined up that I have to work on. So we're in the phase of figuring out uh, what are things we want to talk about. And I'm somebody that loves analytics. So at the end of every season, we get like a really detailed report about how all of the episodes did and what did the best. And so if you look at our episodes, you'll see lots of trends in terms of um, we do like the history behind certain words. We debunk myths. We do like lots of lists, like three things, five things, two things you should know about whatever. And so based off of off of that, we're using that to apply it to different topics. Um, one of the things I'm really excited to delve into is uh, disability and accessibility. That's something that we haven't done on the show. Um, you know, I got called out for not having captions on my videos a few years ago. And so I really pushed to make sure that all of our videos are captioned. Um, and so those are things that I think lots of other people don't think about because I saw somebody one time say like why are your videos captioned I don't under I don't understand like what the point is they're like in the way or something and I was like you can turn them off <laughs> and also like half of y'all are watching this at work when you're supposed to be working <laughs> so you're welcome some people, English is not their first language and they like to watch captions because it helps them understand. And then there are people who are deaf or hard of hearing and they need captions, right? And so as a you know an able-bodied person, that's something that I don't have to think about. And so I think that there are a lot of those things like um, even after Stephen Hawking passed away, there were a lot of uh, articles that were all about how he overcame his disability. And there's a lot of, inappropriate language around the way that we talk about people with disabilities and I think that's really interesting. Um, so I like for us to explore things that, that surprise me and I think like, oh, I have, I have not heard anybody talk about that before. Um, let's bring it to a larger audience. Um, I also, we wanna talk more a little bit about like masculinity. Uh, we've done some episodes and it's, it's, it's a fine line to walk only because like dudes get so angry <laughs> they get so angry and it's and again it's to me symptomatic of like why we need to talk about masculinity but like we're trying to find the right guys to talk about like we actually shot an episode last season that we ended up not putting out because we were worried that it was going to just have a lot of backlash uh it was about like myths about penis size and it was such a good episode like it's it's really interesting because we really don't often talk about the way that those stigmas impact men and how 
you know, that turns into like toxic masculinity and like anger and all that other stuff. But all I could think about was like a super cut of me saying penis over and over and over again being made. And I was like, let's not put this out. Let's do this again next season, but like bring some guys in and maybe just have me like tee it up for them and then they can do the episode. Um, But I do think it's really interesting. And I think, again, we have been expanding Decode to not just be about race, to just to be about identity. Um, And so I'm excited to explore that. Yeah, and that's so awesome that you're bringing in other people that talk about it from their perspectives, and I think that's really important, too. Yeah. It adds a lot of legitimacy to it as well. Yeah, I mean, I I try to lead by example and practice what I preach. I'm not the authority on every subject. Um, I really like the opportunity to give a platform to other people. I mean, that's why I wanted to co-host for all of my events, because... Sarah is amazing. She's so funny. She's so smart. I want as many people to know her as possible. And so when I find a comic that I'm like, oh, this girl is so funny, like you should be on the show. Like come be in a sketch. Um, Can you write? Come be in the writer's room. Like I've hired people that are, that I worked with at other jobs to write for me um, or to direct or to come shadow a director. I'm like, I think you have a lot of talent. You want to be a director? Like come, come on set and just like hang out and see what it's like. I want to make space for people that often don't get invited to the table, that don't get to have those spaces. Um, And so I I feel really fortunate that I have that that opportunity. Yeah, we'll all be there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing for self-care, balance? Um, Being an entrepreneur is hard. Being a female entrepreneur is really hard. So... What are you doing? Yeah, this question's come up uh, at almost every single stop, which is really interesting to me. I'm so glad that we're talking about this because it is really important. Um, I One of the big things, and I talked about this recently on Lovey Ajayi's podcast, who is a, another hardworking dear friend of mine, uh, was saying no. Um, I think as a woman, and it, you know, as the co- question says, as a woman of color, it's really hard for us to say no. It's like not in our nature. We often face backlash when we say no. Somebody is like, do this work for me. Stay later for me. Explain this to me. Hold my baby. You're like, no. <laughs> no, I don't want to do that. Um, and I just found myself saying yes to people because I felt bad. And I felt like if I said no, they were going to think I was a bitch or they weren't they didn't want to be my friend or they didn't want to work with me or some other opportunity was going to come along and they were going to say well don't ask Francesca because last time she said no um but we have to prioritize and we can't do everything and everything is not right for us and for me I had to decide like well what are my career goals what are the things that I want to work towards and if these opportunities that come into my life do not align with those things then I need to say no because it is a waste of my time to do this thing when I could be doing something else that's helping me get to my goal. And so, thank you. <laughs> so um, I, I try to be gracious and just say like, thank you so much for thinking of me. This sounds like a great opportunity. Unfortunately, I can't do it. Um, and I try to offer someone else. I say like, can I make a suggestion? Um, I know somebody who's really funny and she needs a job. Um, can you give it to her? Like, I mean, I'm not joking. Like, I, I do that all the time. And I think 
if more of us did that instead of just giving a hard no, like you're just helping somebody else, you know, and then the person's going to be appreciative and then every, you know, everybody, everybody wins. wins. Yeah. Um, so saying no has been really great. Um, getting foot rubs. I don't know about San Francisco, but in New York, you can get a $35 foot rub for like an hour and it is everything like, like hurts so good. Like get, in there and like some days I'm just having like a bad day and I'm just like I'm getting a foot rub (laughs) and I just like go in there and I like get a foot rub and it's great and it's you know I get off my phone and I just like sit there and and just like unplug the longest you've ever been off your phone I would love to know the answer to that question um when I when I go on vacation I'm like usually off my phone but I mean I still like take pictures and stuff like that like but I'm not but I'm not like reading my tweet like I'm not reading my Twitter feed I'm not like checking my Facebook messages um you know it's hard um yes and no only because it's hard when you are self-employed and you don't really have hours and my work is in Your many life. my I mean, life yeah. but it's also like reliant on what's going on in the world like part of my job is responding to and decoding and, and explaining and analyzing and being critical of things happening in the world and so there are times where I'm like oh my god something's gonna happen and everyone's talking about it and I'm not talking about it like what do I do you know and it's been uh, a learning process for me to accept and admit that like the world is still going to turn if I don't chime in on like every trending topic. Like, do we really need another think piece about this is America? We don't. Um, but everyone's like, must write one because I like, got to get those clicks, you know? And, and you realize people are saying stuff just to say it. And I realized that I was doing that too. And so just stepping away was really helpful, especially when I was in the middle of writing the book and like doing the show. I was like, there's no way I can do this. So I deleted Facebook off my phone. Like I still was on Facebook, but I just took the apps like Twitter and Facebook. I quit Snapchat. Like I just decided I got to live in the moment instead of capturing things for the internet and actually seeing what everybody else is doing is keeping me from being productive. So self-care has really been like stepping away and like investing in rejuvenating myself um, instead of consuming bad news and like what everybody else is doing. How or where do you draw the line between comedy and offending people? Uh, you know, I think it's really important to make a distinction between... Not all comedy is offending people. Yeah, no, right. But I mean, uh, at the end of the day, someone's always going to be offended. But I think there's a difference between being offensive and being oppressive. There's a difference between hurt feelings and words or actions that uphold the mistreatment of an entire marginalized group of people. So my work offends a lot of people there is an entire cottage industry of angry white dudes that make videos about how much they hate me and they are very offended by me and I'm okay with offending those people. I am more concerned when a marginalized person, when a trans person says to me, hey, you put a wig on in this video and you, you know, I'd made this video one time where I pretended I was a drag queen and I asked people to guess if I was a man or a woman and I thought it was so funny. And a number of trans people 
brought to my attention that like this was really damaging because it was essentially mocking the experience that they have every single day where people are misgendering them and asking them inappropriate questions about their genitals and their sex life. And that has unfortunately perpetuated a world where you know, trans women of color, trans women are being murdered and it's not being taken seriously. And here I was making a joke out of it. And I didn't mean to offend them, but I was contributing to a system that already devalues their life and treats them as less than. And for me, I feel like as a comedian, it really doesn't take much work in order for me to say like, okay, I don't have to tell that joke anymore. I'll write a new joke. I'll do something better. And it really pisses me off when comedians are like, no one can take a joke. Everyone's so sensitive. But I'm like, but you're so sensitive that people didn't like your joke. So if the audience doesn't laugh, then you're not doing your job. Then be funny. Punch up. Make fun of the systems that are oppressing us. Don't make fun of the oppressed who have always been made fun of since the beginning of time. Like, my shitty uncle can do that at the dinner table. That doesn't take any talent. I just got, like, so hated. I just got, like, actually angry. (laughs) But you're still smiling. No, I just, you know, there's, like, comedians in the news right now who are just like, it's just a joke, it's just a joke. And, like, it's just, it frustrates me. Like, comedian, I... I don't really do stand-up anymore for a, a number of reasons, but comedians are often people, and again, I say this as someone that's a comic, that their work is a reflection of insecurities, and, and that's why people make self-deprecating jokes, right? Like, they're sensitive people, and so I get that. Like, I'm an artist. I'm sensitive about my shit, you know? Eric Badu. Um, but... That doesn't mean that you're not responsible for like the impact that your words have. And it's just bizarre that people are turning this into like a free speech issue. Like that's not what freedom of speech means. I just it really frustrates me because I just especially if you are someone who is fortunate enough to make a career and get paid to tell jokes and make people laugh. Like, do you realize how fortunate you are? It's really just write a fucking new joke. Just write a new joke. Okay, sorry, I got mad again. (laughs) How do you deal with people who make you feel guilty for your success? Whoa. (sighs) Um, You know, again, it's like not about me, it's about them, and I set boundaries for myself. You know, I think it's, it is really hard when you get to a place where you realize that you can't be friends with everybody. It's, you know, I had to realize that for myself as somebody who like a lot of people on the Internet don't like me. And it's like everybody's not going to like me and that's okay. I really like me. So like go off. Um, And so if there are people I have had people in my life who, you know, I went to a performing arts middle and high school and then I studied acting in in college and so I have a lot of friends in the business a lot of people who are at varying places in their careers and there's ebbs and flows with every career you know and I've had people in my life who I felt like when something good happened I was like oh I don't want to tell them that this this good thing happened because I know that it's going to really hurt them and then I realized that I had to that our relationship had to change 
Um, and my girlfriend Fran says everything has a season. Some friendships are not meant to be forever. Some friendships you're really close and then for a few years you're not as close and then they come back into your life and it's awesome. And if people are making me feel bad about the things that I've worked very hard for, then that season has come to an end. Many black folks clearly relate to your content. How do white people uh, or white men uh, give you feedback? Does the feedback inform future content? Um, yeah, you know, it's interesting because like there's definitely trends in my audience. I'm, I'm really fortunate. I have a very diverse audience and that makes me proud. You know, I do talk about race. I do talk about gender. Uh, I do try to acknowledge and be aware of my privilege as a straight cis woman uh, when I do talk about sexuality, uh, when I talk about gender. But, you know, I think it's privilege is really difficult for a lot of people to understand. And I think when we talk about privilege, white dudes oftentimes, if they are able-bodied cis straight white dudes, are kind of just like, well, fuck, fuck. I just, so I have everything. Like, this is it's all my fault. It's like, no, it's not all your fault. Like literally the world has just always catered to you. Um, and you just have to understand and acknowledge that, you know? And so I've had some people who are like, you really opened my eyes because I talk about my privilege. Like I can hold hands with my husband and I'm not worried about my safety. Um, and that is something that LGBTQ folks do worry about often. It's a very valid fear, I talk about that to say that's not my fault, but I should understand that so that I can help create a world that is safer and better for everyone. And so I think the dudes who really don't like me and hate me, it is a, a combination of the fear of their privilege being taken away. It is uh, a genuine belief that I am less than and I should not love who I am and I should not have the platform and the opportunities that I have. You know, I've, again, not to be a broken record, but like I have found that people that talk about me in these negative ways are like aspiring filmmakers and like stand-ups. And I'm like, bro, it's not my fault you're not getting booked. <laughs> it's really not, but like you're projecting that onto me and then it's further complicated by the fact that you are racist and you are a sexist and I'm hot and black. <laughs> just like, not my fault <laughs> at all. Um, but, I, but my husband is also a white man. And my husband, I'm so fortunate because he helps me change my perspective and how I talk about certain things because he will say he'll say to me like yeah you know what I know some dudes who were gonna like totally flinch when they hear that like is there another way to is there another way to phrase that you know and like he can help me be like a barometer sometimes because like I show him episodes of Decoded I show him sketches and like he's so open-minded and so empathetic um, and he is somebody who is in spaces that I'm not, and he hears the things that people say and the questions that people have, and so he's like, 
this is something like the masculinity stuff is something that Patrick was like, I really feel like like with all the school shootings and stuff, like he, he and I have had all these conversations about it and he's just like, you guys got to do something undecoded about this. And I was like, you're right. This is a great. And I was like, you know what? I really want to get a white dude to be the co-host for that. And I was like, I don't know who it's going to be, but I'm going to blow everybody's mind. I'm going to be like, I have a friend here and he's a white guy. <laughs> and then I'm going to be like, and I'm going to let him talk over me. <laughs> I don't know who that person is yet, but but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to be open-minded and, and package things in a way that is digestible for all different sorts of people. I don't want to preach to the choir. I don't want to just make content for people that look like me and think like me. Speaking of, do you fear or love black Twitter? <laughs> and or... <laughs> Do you feel restricted by your race and gender in creating content slash comedy? Um, uh, I don't feel restricted. I feel like there's some things that I don't... Again, I feel like social media just... It's one of those things where I read this quote that said something like the beautiful thing about the internet is it gives everyone a voice. The terrible thing about the internet is it gives everyone a voice. Like some of y'all, some people really think that like everyone needs to hear what they have to say. And I'm just like, no, I don't care what you have to say. And it's, and sometimes people are chiming in on conversations or trying to make jokes about things that they just have no place. It's not their experience. They don't actually have any knowledge about that thing, but like they want to chime in because everybody else is. And for me, I just try to think like, well, is my voice valuable in this space? And like, that's why on Decoded, we have these co-hosts. That's why on social media, I've been doing a lot more like retweeting or like sharing articles from news sources because I'm like, oh, this person has a perspective on this thing that is interesting or is valuable and I'm not really that knowledgeable or I actually have never experienced this. So I, I don't want to speak over anybody. Um, do I fear or love black Twitter? Black Twitter. Uh, the answer is yes. Um, That's a good answer. Both. Both. I mean, it's so weird because like as a I am a black person on Twitter. So like you might think like, oh, you are part of black Twitter. But like I'm really not in the sense that I don't know. Black Twitter is so interesting because like they are so shady. Like they will be talking about somebody, but they won't say who it is. You know what I'm talking about? Like you'll see every, like the whole timeline will be talking about something and I'm like, who are they talking about? Like nobody is saying this it person's name. It takes research name. to figure out right. who it is. Like I dig through likes and stuff. I'm like, who liked this tweet? <laughs> and then like, let me go look through their likes so I can try to figure out who they're talking about. Um, and they like, they push culture forward in terms of jokes, like the barbecue Becky thing. Like they are so creative and resourceful. So I, I do admire that. I think it's amazing. My frustration is that people commodify that and they steal from black Twitter. I mean, they have stolen from us forever, but like black Twitter, especially like late night writers, yeah. TV shows, movies, you know, people are putting slogans on t-shirts. Um, do, do you know Jabuki? Yeah. Uh, so uh, Jabuki Young White is a um, hilarious comedy writer, uh, comedian on Twitter. His tweets go, every tweet goes viral, like super viral. And uh, 
people have stolen his tweets and put them on merchandise. And it's like, that's still his work. Like it still belongs to him. Um, you can't just steal it because it's on the internet. And, you know, I'm so glad that he is somebody who's been able to translate his career as a comedian and like an online personality into jobs in the writer's room. But sometimes I see people on black Twitter investing all of this time and creating all this content. And I wonder like, what do you do for a living? Like, I want you to have a job where you are in the graphics department on Seth Meyers instead of like Photoshopping Drake into like all of these weird <laughs> things. And I know how to use Photoshop. And I'm like, that, that is superior masking work. Like you did a great job on that. Like you should work in like a production house or like you should be putting that skill to good use. Um, so like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to use again my platform to encourage people like here's how you can turn your online presence into a job. So you did a whole tweet I storm I did a about whole this. tweet storm about like making a writer's packet. I was like, y'all need to buy writing for late night. You need to buy the comedy Bible. You need to go do, you know, a sketch writing class. You need to try and get yourself on a stand-up showcase. You need to go to stand-up shows and meet stand-ups and pitch jokes to them like become somebody's writer so that when they blow up you blow up too like don't give that shit away for free on twitter um i this is a little bit of a long one i'm a teacher for high school students 11th and 12th grade i teach mostly kids of color who experience a lot of racism bigotry at school and online What's what your advice would be to how to handle social media and bullying as a minor, as a woke human, as a woke human, who are our future, who are struggling during these trying times? So I think it's about students who are experiencing bullying on social media. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm so glad that social media did not exist when I was in <laughs> high school. You know, like, uh, unfortunately, people deal with bullies. Um, but, you know, it used to be like when you left school, you got to leave the bullies behind and like you don't anymore. They come home with you on your phone. And I really think that I think it should be the responsibility of parents, but I realize it's, that is hard because it, it's hard to keep up with technology and stuff changes so fast and there's always like a new, I feel old sometimes. Like people are like, are you on kick? And I'm like, what does that mean? I don't know what that is, right? And so like kids have all of these ways to communicate and they also are able to see what everybody is doing. They're able to see when they're left out. They're able to see, you know, who's flirting with who. They're able to see, like they're able to compare their bodies to each other at every stage. It's just, and then they also are seeing celebrities and internet personalities that are pushing them products all the time. And, and they don't even realize they're being pushed products. They're being sold like these false lives. And they're, oh, it, it really, creeps me out that there are all of these YouTubers in their 30s that are pretending that they're still in high school. They're always like, what was my first kiss like? I'm like, you're 35. And then like some high schoolers watching that and comparing themselves and being like, why don't I look like her? And it's like, well, because she's an adult and you're a child and you, of course you don't look like that, you know? And so I really feel like 
I don't know. Maybe someone in this audience will do it. I, I, I would love to do it, but I don't know that I can take it on. I wish there was some sort of curriculum for kids about using social media responsibly and that it was part of the school experience, that we talk about being responsible online, the way that we talk to each other, the things that we post online, but also like literacy, right? Like knowing the difference between somebody who's trying to sell you something versus somebody that's just being... Understanding yeah. like what's an opinion piece and like what's actually news. Um, all of those things... I mean, that's a whole thing with the fake news too is because you can be anybody online, you can pretend to be anybody online, you can pretend to be an authority on something that you're not an authority on. And so it's really, really hard to tell the difference between all those things. And funny enough, it's it's kids who get fooled, but it's also older people who get fooled as oh, well yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, between knowing what's real and what's not. And it's only going to get scarier because as video starts to be something that people can fake oh, and yeah. what people are Have saying. You seen that? Yes. Oh you my can gosh, actually mask it's really what people scary. are saying. You can you can literally almost like Photoshop someone into a video saying something that they didn't say. You can like paste someone's face over someone else's face, and it is very and they're using it for porn. They're taking celebrities and putting their faces on porn stars to make it look like they have naked footage of people. It's it's terrifying. And it's not real. And it's not real. And 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 young people and like you're saying adults are also being fooled by this so I do think it's important that we start having these conversations with young people so they can be informed adults when it's time to vote when it's time to hire people when it's time to apply for a job um because it's it's really really scary I'm I'm really creeped out by like internet famous kids like I think that that like that like really freaks me out. Like little Tay, like God, that is so scary. I don't know who that is. Oh, be glad. <laughs> be glad. It's just, it's just scary. That's, that's weird to be famous on something that you don't even understand what fame is. You don't understand what the internet is, and you're already famous on it. Yeah, yeah. And it's also not real. And and also with that little girl in particular, like her whole brand is just being an awful person online. And so her like celebrity is people saying mean, nasty things to her. And like, that's how she's famous. And And how old is she? She's like eight, nine years old. She was just on, got interviewed on ABC news and it was just really disturbing. She's just like saying awful things on Instagram. She has like 3 million followers or something and she's getting like sponsorship deals. And there's also you know, the morality of your kid becoming the breadwinner in your family and your kid. That's why I want to have children. (laughs) Put them to work. (laughs) You know, it's like, and think about it, child actors, right? Like it's very difficult for a child actor to turn into like a successful, normally functioning adult. And they have the protections of like the Screen Actors Guild. They have a union that makes sure that they go to school and that they don't work past certain... That's why when you watch shows, it's all adults playing high schoolers because they can work late at night. If you hire real kids, they can't work certain hours. Their parents got to be there all the time. You know, like, so social media, none of that shit is existing. Parents can work their kids all the time. They can put a camera in their kid's face all of the time. And the kids are always performing and like you're seeing these kids who I've gone to schools to speak and have talked to students that don't I feel like they can't talk to me it's very weird and I'm like but you can talk to your phone 
what I don't know how this is like damaging us and our ability to empathize and our ability to communicate and, and connect and connect. It's just, and I feel, I feel like I'm talking shit about a friend because I love the internet, but like, <laughs> it has an evil side. It, it has does. a scary side. It yeah. does. Yeah. Oh, on that note. <laughs> um, well, this last question is actually for me. Oh, uh, it says, question for Sarah, we've heard about Francesca's journey. I'm a big fan of both of you. Where are you on your journey, um, even though you've made it? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's what it says. But um, this, is, uh, this is a question I get a lot. A lot of times when you're working for yourself or you're being creative or you're trying to make things, people are like, where are you? What's the next thing? Where do you see yourself? What's the end game here? Um, how are you going to make money? That's what my parents are always asking me. <laughs> uh, so I, I, uh, I sold my, my, my book deal a few years ago and I just wanted to sell one book, but my agent was amazing. She sold three books, which was great at the time. But then after I wrote the first book, I was like, like I, I have to write, two I don't want to do this again <laughs> because it's horrible. It's a long process. Can you plug the other two books? Yeah. So, um, the second book was a coloring book. It was a, uh, draw what success looks like the coloring book for serious business people. Uh, and then my next book is How to Be Successful Without Hurting Men's Feelings, uh, which is not fiction, even though it sounds like it is. And I, writing a book is just a long process. It's, the book's been done for a few months now, but it's not coming out until October. You're experiencing this now. You've yeah. been done with this book for a long time, but yeah. now you're plugging it. And literally, you'll be talking about this book for, forever, forever because it'll never go away. So... Uh, no, and that's a good thing, but it's also like, wait, I wrote this so long ago, but I'm still talking about it. I and don't know why I just got this picture in my mind of like the book stalking me, like me looking over my shoulder and it like being there. And I'm like, ah, yeah, it's behind me. <laughs> so I'm just like the next book and then I'll, I'll promote that until October and then we'll see what happens. So the next thing, I'm not really sure what wait, the next thing is. And what's the first, the first book that you wrote? The first book was 100 Tricks to Appear Smart in Meetings. And that was based on my experience working at Google and just seeing the things yeah, that Sarah's like really, she's not just a comedian. She's like super smart. Well, like to get a job at Google is you have to know somebody. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you need. No, it's really true. Like you have to be so smart to work there. They put you through all they, you have to jump through so many hoops in order to get a job there. Um, but I like the idea. And the, again, the reason that I, think you're so great is that you use your humor in order to like help inform people and there are tricks there are tricks to stand up for yourself in the workplace and and in a meeting and everybody has had that experience where they say something in the meeting and nobody hears it and then like some dude says the same thing and everyone's like great job Jeff and you're like what <laughs> I just said that um so yeah. Thank you, Jeff, for <laughs> articulating that so clearly. Thank you, Jeff, yes. for reiterating what I just, what I just said. said. Yeah. So all of that was based on my experience in the workplace. And I had the same experience you did kind of because people were like, wait, is this about me? Did I say that? You know? <laughs> uh, so it was really cool uh, having that experience. But so yeah, I mean, after the next book, I'll, we'll see what happens. That's basically my answer to that. Well, yeah. this was 
wonderful. Yeah, this was awesome. This was so fun. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at ciis.edu slash podcast.